Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Edward Cooney, who is the executive director of the Congressional Hunger Center. Uh, Ed has been a very active and vocal presence in the hunger anti-hunger community and has been known for his forward thinking and helping the nation address the hunger issues that face it. Uh, Ed, I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. So I'd like to talk now about uh, something that's sort of a raging debate at the moment and a most interesting one. And we've, we've had a role in part of the debate, and I know you certainly have as well. The debate is whether um, recipients of SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as food stamps, should be permitted to use the, um, their benefits or their food stamps to buy sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, this came to the fore not long ago when the city of New York and the state of New York requested permission from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to do a test on uh, what the impact would be if this policy were put, in to put into effect. And that brought national attention to the issue, and a lot of uh, debate broke out. And on one side is the, um, the debate, one, one perspective on this is, goes as such, that the, the estimates are that the government spends some billions of dollars buying sugar-sweetened beverages that then go to SNAP recipients. The, the estimates vary depending on who you ask, but it's, it's in the billions to be sure. Um, and the public health uh, community has asked, what sense does that make to be buying things that are certainly linked to illnesses because of the strong links between sugar-sweetened beverage consumption and obesity and diabetes, especially when the government and taxpayers then have to pay for the damage at these causes when people develop diseases like obesity and diabetes. Um, but there is another perspective on that that I know you take, and I'd be curious to hear what your perspective is, and, uh, and I know you have strong feelings about this, and I'd love to talk about it in some detail. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to, to uh, acknowledge that uh, groups like the New York City uh, uh, Public Health Department have really done a, a great deal uh, of service in, in terms of the projects that they've come up with in New York and, and also Mayor Bloomberg's uh, efforts, you know, Transfat just is one, you know, but a series of other things. Uh, the, the mayor also helped us uh, uh, when people thought it was a good idea to uh, cut SNAP to pay for the child nutrition bill. Uh, he, he didn't think that was a prudent decision. So I'd like to acknowledge that there, you know, there is this other side, uh, but uh, where we see it, and, and when we, I mean, the, in some of the national anti-hunger groups, uh, they're not all together in this, but groups like the Food Research and Action Center and myself, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, Feeding America, and uh, Bread for the World, and Share Our Strength, and, and groups like that. Where we're coming from is that um, we really want the SOTO waiver to go away, far, far away, um, because we see it as the first step in a slippery slope. What we are concerned about is not soda. We are not here promoting the nutrition and health va values of that product. Uh, where we're at is that, you know, amendments have been placed before the United States Senate uh, by Senator Coburn uh, and, and Senator Bond, who's now retired, uh, which would do the following. Um, Senator Coburn uh, had a printed amendment for the health care bill, which would have uh, had the Centers for Disease Control, in conjunction with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, develop a list of nationally approved good foods and nationally approved bad foods. 
And the 46 million people that participate currently on the SNAP program would not be allowed to purchase those foods in a supermarket. We see that as problematic for a variety of reasons. But what, where we're at uh, principally is that we feel the way to address these problems, which we acknowledge there are problems in, in, in obesity and so forth in this country. There, there's a problem for the whole country, and there's a problem for SNAP participants. Uh, and it needs to be addressed. But we think the way to address it is the way that the president has done uh, in his American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. He put in $20 billion in new benefits for a particular period of time. Um, people, uh, SNAP participants that have the financial resources and the, and the nutrition information, in our view, were able, are able to make the right choices, the healthy choices, you know, in a grocery store. But take a look at what they have. The, the basis, you know, for the, the SNAP uh, coupon allotments now is the Thrifty Food Plan. The Children's Health Watch, which is part of the Boston Medical Center, has taken a look at, at, at households that have the maximum benefit in Boston and in New York. Cost costs them $2,000 more than that benefit to purchase a healthy diet, according to the Children's you know, uh, Health Watch. $3,000 in New York. So the money you know, is not there. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like Ron Paul, but I'm not a big fan of the government telling you what to eat as an individual item. Uh, if you take a look at you know, USDA's research in this matter and and most health uh, agencies that have looked at this, they will tell you that there are good diets and there are bad diets. If we get into the individual food, you know, item, we could end up, you know, what do you do? You know, diet soda has no fat, no sugar, no calories. So that's in, granola's out. Uh, cheddar cheese, which I happen to like, has a lot of fat. Um, when you get down to it, it's just going to be really different, uh, difficult to distinguish, you know, among these foods. There's also, um, a, you know, uh, by the way, my argument that this is the wrong thing to do uh, and that there are other solutions uh, has gone, in fact, nowhere. Uh, so uh, readers who are listeners who have a different view ought to feel confident. The thing that works for us, and the, and, and the Secretary of Agriculture did deny the New York City waiver, but he denied it because their evaluation plan wasn't really, you know, up to snuff, and also uh, because it was impractical. You say, well, why is it impractical? Well, I mean, take a look at, you know, there's 300,000 foods that could be in a supermarket. There's usually normally about 40,000 items in your average, you know, full-service store. There's 160,000 outlets. There are like 19,000 new products every year who pray tell is going to evaluate each and every one of those articles when the mother low-income mother on snap goes to the counter with her two kids and looks the 16 year old clerk in the eye and she says the clerk says take items four five and six back to aisle three what's that going to do I mean, we've been spent, we spent years trying to get rid of the stigma in the, in, the, uh, in the SNAP food stamp program, and we were successful with the electronic benefit uh, transfer card. It's a debit card. It, it's not perfect, but it works really well. This type of approach, we feel, places stigma back on 
the low-income person, and we're afraid that the actual caseloads in SNAP will decrease if people are subject to humiliation at the counter. Now, is that the kind of thing that, um, I mean, if a test were done, be it in New York or anywhere else, that if an adequate test was undertaken, you'd be examining that as a possible outcome. And if, if in fact, people felt stigmatized, I don't want to take the other side of the debate, but I'm just oh, trying to sure. lay out the argument that, sure. that if, if there was a certain amount of stigmatization going on, that at least policymakers would know how much is it, how much of it there is, how severe it is, and things like that, and then weigh that against whatever benefit there is. But at least a test would allow you to know. Well, uh, I, I understand. And people, you know, the, you have the 2012 Farm Bill. Uh, this will be one of the top two issues, uh, 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 according to um, uh, Jerry Hagstrom, which is the nation's leading agricultural reporter. Uh, so people will get, a, you know, a fair shot, you know, at this. I'm debating this issue uh, uh, with Lynn Silver in, the, uh, in um, Austin, Texas, uh, next month. But my response to you is that, well— when it's all said and done, 70% of all food stamp households have other money. So if your goal is to prevent a single item from going away, they will just substitute cash for the card and buy it if they want. If a mother wants to buy a birthday cake for her kid, the ingredients, she's going to do it. And if she has SNAP benefits, she'll do it with that. And if she doesn't have it, she'll do it with something else. So I just don't see it working. Uh, as a practical matter, uh, and, uh, and I see it uh, uh, creating uh, a larger role for stigma. And I'm a legal services attorney, and I was in Danielson, Connecticut, and I had 2,000 clients between 1972 and 79. It's not, an, you know, it's not a unique experience for me to be in, in a low-income community and see how it happens. I lived in the north end of Hartford while I was in, at UConn Law. So um, I'm not, you know, we're not experts. We're not perfect on this, but... Um, what I'm fighting, and the people that work with me are, the House has passed a, a, a block grant proposal. Uh, it would cut $127 billion from the SNAP program over 10 years. It actually passed. I've got to work with other people to defeat it in the Senate, and I'm going to work with people like Pat Roberts, who when he was head of the House Agriculture Committee said, a block grant on food stamps will pass over my dead body. So I'm hopeful to keep him alive and to that promise. Uh, but that's a big deal. And so if this waiver gets done, 50 states do it, and i got to fight waivers in 50 states on pretzels, potato chips, soda. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather give people the right amount of money that they need to purchase and the right information. I mean, a lot of us don't know. I mean, when I was in Connecticut and we did the summer food program, we had outreach kids, uh, nutritionists from UConn. We went down and we, we did this education thing. And uh, this kid came up to me and said, Mr., do you know that green beans come from the ground and not from a can? I said, no, I didn't know that. Uh, there are people who just don't know things, and we're all among them. Uh, so I think education and money will help people have the tools to buy healthier foods and Find some grocery stores. You could walk for five miles in Detroit in any direction. You will not find a supermarket. You will find 100 fast food outlets, but no supermarket. Well, it's very useful to, to hear your perspective on this. As, I, as you indicated yourself, this is something that will likely be 
uh, in the public debate for a long time. Um, it has so many implications um, that reach into the health and well-being of the, the SNAP recipients, into the public health community, uh, into the way people are feeling when they're redeeming their benefits. All these sort of things are extremely interesting and all important. And so it's really wonderful to have your perspective on this. I very much appreciate that. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Our guest was Edward Cooney, who's the executive director of the Congressional Hunger Center. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, for a variety of resources on food and food policy issues, including a newsletter that gets dispatched monthly, and, of course, a list of the, the many dozens of podcasts that have been recorded with people who have visited the Rudd Center. Thank you. <laughs>